Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Tonight, we're going to be dealing with, with intercession. Now, when I say that word intercession, now don't raise a hand, but when I say that word intercession, you feel like standing up and walking out because this is not for you. You're not one of those intercessors. This is for you. Now, come on, let's be real. Have you ever been in a service? I know, I've been. God knows how many times. And it's like, well, this isn't for me. It's got to be for somebody else. That's, this, is, this is too big for me. This is too righteous for me. Anybody else relate to that? Intercession, though, is for every one of us. It's a part of Christian living. And it's what the Lord wants us to do, what the Lord actually needs for us to do. Prayer never ceases to amaze me how the Lord knows the problem. He has a solution. He waits for us to ask for his help. But that's his way because he works with free will. So thank God that we have his word and we can understand that we can um, get involved in prayer through free will and so on. Calvary, you have been a wonderful home to me for many years and to my family. And I'd like to thank those of you that have been involved in blessing our family in one way or another. Many of you um, uh, raised my wife when she was a girl in Sunday school classes and uh, put up with her shenanigans as, as a Calvary Christian School student. And uh, I'd like to thank you uh, for your patience uh, in dealing with my wife when she was one of those rascals. But you've given to me, if I could say it that way, a wonderful woman, a woman that loves the Word of God. And I'm blessed. So thank you. You've blessed my family. You've, you've taken my kids in, and you've taken them in Sunday school and youth groups and all that. And so, Calvary, I just want to say thank you. What a wonderful assembly of people we have here. We are blessed. But to whom much is given, much is required. And so a lot of people look to Calvary Tabernacle, a lot of churches, a lot of people, and they say, look at that wonderful church, and that, look at that flagship, and, 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 and what's happening there. And there is a responsibility that does come with that. And so I thank you, Calvary, for standing up underneath that responsibility and shouldering that load and realizing the responsibility of that. But that responsibility is not over and we have more to do and there's revival and there, is, there are blessings and there's challenges no doubt ahead. And so I speak to a wonderful assembly to say, thanks for what you've done, for what you do and what you will do. But tonight is a challenge for us all to step up because I don't think there's a person in this room that wouldn't say, you know, I can do some more for God. I don't think there's anybody in here that would say, you know, I think I could probably pray more and more intently or more effectively or something along those lines. And so tonight is not about, oh, woe was me and woe was you and you're not doing a good job. To the contrary, it's about keep on doing what you're doing and let's, let's step up and help God's kingdom even more. That's what this, is, this night is all about. It's about encouragement and help and direction. So we're going to dig into the word of the Lord here. First, I'll say with slide one, the Merriam-Webster definition of intercession reads, 
prayer, petition, or entreaty in favor of another. The root word is intercede, which means to mediate between parties. Now, when I was a kid, we had five kids in our family, and my brothers loved to mediate between my parents and me. They didn't exactly get uh, intercession the right way. You know, they, they, they kind of would twist it a little bit. When they would hear something from dad, they would kind of push it down the line. So dad would say something like, Roger, the oldest, take out the trash. And Roger would mediate to Bruce, the second oldest, and he would say, Bruce, dad would like you to take the trash out. And then Bruce would mediate or, or would go between, you know, he was the intercessor between Roger now and Dan, the third oldest. And Dan would hear from Bruce, uh, Dad and Roger would like for you to take out the trash. And, you know, here's this intercessory sort of a thing between going between. And so then Dan, the one closest to me, I'm the fourth, fourth boy, Dan would say, Chuck, uh, Dad and Roger and Bruce and I, we would all like you to take the trash out. And I would turn to my little sister and say, and my mom would say, uh, 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 or something to that effect. But you see, my brothers had intercessory communication backwards. (laughs) Intercession is about taking our needs of somebody else to the Lord. It's not about taking this and twisting it for my benefit. So I took the trash out. I took the trash out a lot of times. And Candy has me take the trash out now too, so. I love you, Candy. (laughs) Ezekiel 22, we're gonna read uh, verses 29 to 31. There's a verse here that starts talking about the need of the country because there were not spiritual people there and about how there was going to be punishment and so on. And the Lord was looking for somebody to help solve the problem. Let's read this. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that they should make up the hedge. Or in other words, stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, thanks be to God that when the Lord looks around Calvary Tabernacle for an intercessor, he sees plenty of people that are standing in the gap. Thanks be to God for that. But let me challenge those of you that may think, well, I don't have that much time, or I'm not that spiritual, I'm not filled with the Holy Ghost yet, or I, whatever. Get encouraged to be involved. Let me encourage you to realize that this is a tool that God has for you to bless other people. God's got a job for you, and it's intercession. Slide number three. This is a picture of the London tube. How many of you ever been on the London tube? I see hands here and there. Do you remember that voice that always comes on when, you're, when the doors open? Mind the gap. It's like, what does that mean? Well, you see, between that train, if you could call it that, and that standing platform is a gap of about six inches. And when people are rushing in or rushing out, it's very easy to step in that gap. And if you step down in that gap and the doors close and it took off, you'd be in a world of hurt. 
And so every time that door opens, it always says, mind the gap. So Calvary, let me say to you, mind the intercessory gap. Be aware of the need for us to know that there is a potential problem, and we can span that by being aware of the problem and doing something about it. Mind the gap. Say it with me, everybody. Mind the gap. Now, you got to say it with a British accent, but that's another story altogether. The funny thing is, I just read this. The voice of the man that says, mind the gap, is married to a woman who's a voice actor, and she says, we have, we're, we're sorry, we have now come to the end of the line, and you must vacate. And so they're the two voices of the tube, and they've called them the most, what do they call them, the most... Um, they make the most excuses or something like that. It was really kind of funny that those two would be married. But whatever the case is, mind the gap. We heard it and heard it and heard it and heard it. So let's take a look at an example of an intercessory prayer in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. Our pastor preached about this not too long ago. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. This is a story of the chains falling off and the doors opening up and Peter getting out of prison and going to the prayer meeting and he's knocking at the gate and Rhoda's on the inside and, and she is so excited and so overwhelmed that she goes back and tells everybody that Peter's here. It's like, no, she didn't open the latch and let him in. She just went and told everybody. And of course, like the pastor said so, so eloquently, they thought he was, she was crazy. What was happening in this situation? Prayer was being made without ceasing. I looked up that word ceasing because without ceasing, that implies something about time. But when you look a little deeper into that word, it's talking about really intensity. Without ceasing, ectenes, not that I'm some Greek scholar by any means, but I can look it up like you can. And it means stretched out like a muscle that is being stretched when you're exercising and you stretch it to the point of even tearing a bit so it will grow stronger. Stretched out or metaphorically, intently, earnestly, assiduously. So this prayer that was without ceasing, it's not that this was necessarily an all-night prayer meeting, although it could have been, but it was talking about deep, intense prayer was being offered up. Now, let me take a little bit of a time out again here. I am by nature an introvert. I was raised in Minnesota, which tends to be a reserved culture. I was raised in a reserved church. And there just wasn't a whole lot of yelling and real loud stuff. Not that it ever happened. It did, but it was, it was very reserved. And so I suspect that there may be some people in this audience like me that would be reserved and would be hesitant to really get with a prayer. I can really relate to that. But let me tell you something from the bottom of my heart. You don't have to scream and holler. I'm not saying you shouldn't because there's a place for that. And I've done that. But the intensity of prayer is measured by God. It's not measured by people. The effectiveness of God is prayer in the answer. It's not prayer by the observers. 
What's important is that we pray with intensity, that we pray with seriousness, that we pray, the Bible says, an effectual, fervent prayer. Hannah was praying a prayer that was a prayer of intercession, deep intercession. And she was heard by Eli. But what was she? No, she wasn't heard by Eli, actually. She was seen by Eli. And Eli only saw her mouth moving. But she was praying a deep, intense, effective, fervent, intercessory prayer. Now, I'm not, I am not, I'll go on record, I am not trying to make a statement against loud or I don't want to be loud. That's not my point, because there is a time for that. My second point is, maybe we should open the door a little bit to maybe praying a little louder. Because it is possible for some of us that are reserved people to realize that there's something that happens when you do get a little bit louder. There's something that does happen. Maybe it's in your closet. Maybe it's in your, in your car. But when we pray an effective, fervent prayer, something happens. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. James 5, 16, slide 6. Confess your faults, one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We quote that last part all the, all the time. But we kind of tend to leave that first part out. Confess your faults one to another. Now, let me stop there again and not say, now, after church, go up to people and tell them your black history, whatever, your, your, your dark, whatever. No, that's not, that's not the intent here because this needs to be done decently and orderly. This needs to be done in a way that is not embarrassing or is, I think you know what I'm saying there. But there is a place for confession. And there's a place that confession opens the door to intercessory effectiveness. This next verse that I'm going to read here is a a verse that we hear it a lot. And we hear it so much that you may tune it out the first few words that you that you hear, but I implore you, please don't tune this one out. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble, everybody say humble, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their land and will heal their Forgive their sin and it will heal their land. The only word that I want to focus in now, because we hear so much about this, we read so much and so on. I want to focus on one word here, the word that I had you repeat. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Effective prayer requires humility. Effective prayer is not effective when it's prayed by pride. God resisteth the proud. God help me not to be pride, proud, proud. In Western, in Western society, American society, we're, we're about independence. You know, we raise ourselves up by the bootstraps and I started this company and I, and, and, and that's, that, that's who we are. That's not wrong, but that's the mindset 
of us as America. Independence, and you know, those are, those are attributes that we, we, uh, we lift up and so on. Much of Eastern culture is not about independence, but it's about the group. It's about the tribe. It's about others. It's not about just taking care of myself. It's about taking care of others. I'm not trying to make a statement about right or wrong. What I'm trying to say is the concept of intercessory prayer is not about me and my bootstraps, and I'm going to take care of my problem. It's about I see somebody else's need, and I'm going to look after them. I'm going to have compassion towards them. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to take their need to the Lord because we're in this thing together. Folks, we're a family. And as a family of God, we have obligations to each other. We have love one for another. And that love challenges us to give and to think for others and have compassion for others and and to reach out to the needs of other people. We're not a series of individuals. We're a cohesive family of God. We're a body that's fitly framed together. In in Aramaic, that word humility is portrayed as a bird with its wings folded up, maybe its head tucked a little bit, as opposed to a big, bold eagle, so to speak, with with its wings outstretched with the pride opposite of that humble, folded up look. The Bible wants us to pray with humility. He wants, the Lord wants us to live with humility because he resists the pride, proud. Part of this humility, part of the concept of humility, and, this, and, and get this concept, I, I believe you will. Part of the concept of being humble is servitude. It's serving God. It is being yoked by God. It's by being covered, in a sense, with that heavy yoke and burden to do a job that the Lord has asked us to do. We maybe didn't want it, but we're yoked to this job. We've humbled ourselves as a servant. This is the concept of humility that's built into this verse here. With that yoke, and we're going to continue to kind of refer back to that a little bit. With that yoke, we're not alone, though. This next slide, slide eight. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. In other words, I'm not important. I'm nobody. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking about others first. That's the mindset of intercession, praying for other people. When you hear little kids pray, little kids pray, Lord, help me this, Lord, help me that. And that's understandable because little kids live in their little world. And then as they get a little bit older, it's Lord, help my mean brother and Lord, help my, (laughs) you know, noble prayers like that, right? (laughs) But they start to look outside their lives. And as adults, as mature Christians, our job is to look outside our own needs, outside our own families, outside our own friends, to see the needs of people 
that we happen to see, but then through intercession through the Spirit to pray for people that we don't even know about. We'll get to that in a bit. Humility is not thinking of yourself less. Thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Boy, I goofed that one up. Let me start it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So what is humility? To humble ourselves, it's I can't do life myself. It's I submit to God's help. Because without submitting to God, we're really not a Christian. Without saying to God, God, I I can't do this on my own. When we say to God, God, I got this myself, just kind of stay out of the way. He says, okay. And God will back away. I need God. We need God. The devil loves independence. The, level, the, the devil loves the unsubmitted. But the Lord looks for people who are dependent upon him, people who are submitted to him, because those are people. Children of God, hear this. Those are people that God will use to do his work. Lord, I need you. I am nothing. I am a worthless rag. My righteousness is as a filthy rag. God hears that. God loves that. In the Old Testament, excuse me, in the Old Testament, Micah 6.8, there was a command about humility. He that hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. There's a theme of humility through the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, it was clearly required that followers of God be humble. In the New Testament, is, there's another command there, if you will, another challenge, a caution in James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Say it again, humble. Humble. He gives grace to to the humble. In the New Testament, the Lord was asked by a Pharisee. No, excuse me, a different, a lawyer. Matthew 22, Master, which is the greatest command in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the spirit of an intercessor. That's the spirit of an intercessor. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Now let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me. We'll try to get it on the screen as well, because we're going to read several verses here. This is a story that takes place right after the lawyer asked Jesus, who was his neighbor? Now, first of all, the lawyer, the Bible says lawyer, what it means there, an expert of the Old Testament law, an expert of the Jewish law. And so he was asking the Lord, who is my neighbor? And the Lord goes in to explain by telling a story who his neighbor was. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, 
Master, what should I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, with all thy strength, thy mind, thy neighbor, and thy neighbor as thyself. This is Jesus responding. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. So Jesus had taught this. If you go back in Matthew, you can see that Jesus had taught that. And this man apparently is repeating that. And he said, willing to justify himself, but he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus read his spirit. Now, again, let's take a little, little time out here. I like to do that just to kind of dig in a little bit. What's this neighbor thing have to do with anything? Jesus here, he's trying to get people to understand our obligation to have compassion for other people. It's not just about us. It's about others as well. And he said in this second great command, love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer responded, who's my neighbor? You can almost hear the snarkiness in his voice. When you read the whole story through, you can kind of see that's exactly what was going on. And he may have thought he was hiding it from the Lord, but the Lord read right through it. Who's my neighbor? And the Lord answered with this parable, if you will. Verse 30, and Jesus answered, said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, all we know about this right now is that there's a certain man. It doesn't say anything about who he is, other than the fact that he really got into a rough set of circumstances. Then it starts to give a little personality to the other characters that come in on the scene. If you've ever worked in a play, you'll very often up the top, you'll see a little character evaluation of, of the personality of these various characters. And so that's starting to happen a little bit here. Verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest. We know something about him. A certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And now another character enters the stage. Verse 32, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan. Now, what do, you, what do we know about the Samaritan? What do we call the Samaritan? Everybody. The good Samaritan. That's what you and I call the Samaritan. Because we've kind of been trained to call him the good Samaritan. But at the time, he was the villain of this character, of this, of this uh, play, so to speak, of this parable. The Jews had disdain for the Samaritans. They were traitors to the truth that the Jews followed. And so when Jesus brings in this character into this play, so to speak, if I could refer to that like that, into this, into this uh, uh, parable, and he uses the word Samaritan, there was a recoiling in the heart of this Levite, Samaritan. So we think the good Samaritan, that is not what the lawyer thought, nor anybody else that heard this. Now let's go back in and think about that when we read about this Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan, the villain, the traitor, 
the disdained one, the person out of place, the person that had no right to have any dealings with Jews. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him upon his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, I read that kind of fast. I did that because I'm going to go back through. We're going to look at the many things that the Samaritan did. In verse 33, he saw. He had compassion, number two. 34, he went to him. He bound him. He poured in oil and wine. He set him on his beast. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. He gave him, he gave money to the host. He promised, I will come again and I will pay thee. 10 or 11 things there, depending on how you look at it, at it that this villain in this play, this villain in this, in this um, story here did that was good. Now we've heard that story so many times, you could recite the story. But here's where I want to challenge your thinking. This, this parable, as I want to portray to you, actually is play, I keep using that word, forgive me if that, if that doesn't come across right, but it's like a reenactment trying to help people to understand what it is to intercede for somebody. You see, the Samaritan interceded. He acted out before us what it is to intercede. He was the one between life and death. He was the one that saw the need and did something about it. He was the one that went through 10 or 11 actions to help ensure this man's life. So when I look at this parable, I see an intercessory prayer in a form of behavior. I see an intercessory prayer in a sense acted out verb by verb, right before my eyes. So what is the intercession? It's seeing. It's having compassion. Maybe it's going to somebody. Maybe it's helping. There's many things. Now, intercession isn't, isn't going necessarily. Intercession is the one aspect where you see and you have compassion and you pray. There's another element of helping that may be a part of that as well, but we'll leave that alone for right now. A man that would not be considered qualified as a Jew was this Samaritan. He wasn't, excuse me, he wasn't qualified as a non-Jew to go take care of a Jew. The assumption here by Jesus and the readers and so on is that this man that was beat up was a Jew. He was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. These are in Jewish country, if you will, in Jewish territory. The Samaritan was out of his country. He felt compassion for a man that couldn't help himself. So he acted on his compassion and did what he could to help the stranger. He couldn't do it all, so he got some more help. Now, intercessors, sometimes what do we do? We ask somebody else for help. Help me intercede for this need. 
That's what these various prayer groups are all about. People binding together and uniting and strengthening each other. So it cost him something, but he was willing to do so because he felt a desperate need and understood that there was that he was the man to help at the moment. There will be a time when you see something and God will put some compassion in your heart for a purpose. Take the time to listen to that because you may be the one person that the Lord is wanting and needing and expecting to be the intercessor for that person's need at that time. You may be the one that metaphorically binds up the wound, pours in the oil and the wine, puts them on your own beast and takes them for more help and gives money and promises to come back and help and pay more if necessary. You may be the one that the Lord asks to do those things. That is part of what the Lord wants us to be. The spirit of intercession notices the needs of others. The spirit responds. The spirit of intercession looks over the top of our busy lives to the needs of other people. As was said tonight, the to-do lists, the responsibilities, the distractions. But an intercessor is called to look past that to the needs of other people as well. It's touched by their circumstances. Like I said, it's easy to pray for personal needs for our family and friends. But we need to pray for the neighbors we don't even know. Those we're not close to. Who are our neighbors? Everybody. Let's go to verse 13, uh, number 13. I've got to pick up the pace here really fast. I, I see the time. How many has ever been on a Roman road? How many has ever walked on a Roman road? If you go to Europe, there used to be a quarter million miles of them. There was a time when the Lord compelled people to go not just one mile, but two. Go to the next picture, if you will. There's a Roman mile marker. They literally knew if it was one mile and two miles and so on. Now imagine if you were, you're a centurion, you see a Jew. Hey, guy, get over here. Carry my backpack. You know the law. One mile, give it to me. And they would walk together for those maybe 20 minutes to cover that mile. Now the Christian at the end of that first mile would say, when he wasn't taking the backpack down, he wasn't setting it down. When the centurion was looking for some other unsuspecting person, actually they were probably very suspicious, suspicious when they saw a soldier walking in the road. They might have hidden or something, I don't know. But a Christian would go the extra mile because the Lord had challenged them to do that. Now imagine you're the centurion They've already given the mile of carrying your backpack. And this Christian says, I'll carry it another mile. And the centurion says, what? You don't have to. I've been, I've been challenged to. By whom? By Jesus. Let's walk together. And for the next 20 minutes about walking that second mile, that Christian gets an opportunity to talk to that centurion about the spirit of Christ, about giving and going further than required, about going the extra mile. I can't help but think that that centurion that said, surely this was the Son of God, had heard about the Son of God from many a Jew walking many a mile 
on a Roman road because Jesus said, go that extra mile. That's the spirit of intercession. Just not the obligation. Not just the, now I lay me down to sleep. Not just the Lord bless this food. Not just Lord help me today. But Lord, you know these needs. If our labor's out of obligation, it's not impressive. But when our desire is to show love to my neighbor, even a centurion, that's an attitude that Jesus taught. Let's go to 15. Jesus said, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find when you go the extra mile, not out of obligation, but out of a passion to help, that the burden gets lighter. I've carried backpacks and they don't tend to get lighter. But the Lord's burden is light. Galatians 6 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I am asked to bear your burdens. We as Christians are asked to be aware of other people's burdens, to know their burdens and to carry them. It's not picking up a backpack, but maybe it's picking up prayer for a sickness or prayer for a need or prayer for a lost child. That's intercession. That's the spirit of Christ. Let's go to slide 17. Be careful of praying out of guilt. Be careful of praying out of demand. Be careful of praying because of legalistic guidelines, the law. Be careful of praying even for family tradition. Pray because it's in your heart. Pray because you have a relationship with the Lord. That's the second mile, not out of obligation, but out of love. That's the kind of prayer that the Lord looks for. Slide 18, pray out of a relationship with the Lord. Pray because of compassion. Pray because you're needed to stand in the gap because you know that the Spirit will help. I'm going to skip ahead here. At Zoom prayer in the morning, we've been praying uh, for the needs of the city, the needs of the country, for the Lord to move. Personally, I've been praying a lot for the Lord to draw people to him. And we've been praying that a lot. Lord, draw people. You know, we, we can't talk to everybody, but the Lord can touch hearts and he can draw people. And Pastor Carson said Sunday morning that a couple showed up and they came in and they wanted a Bible study. That is an answer to intercessory prayer with the Lord drawing them and them wanting to receive from the Lord. We've been praying for, for people to be drawn to the Lord. Not necessarily people that we know, people we don't even know, people we're not even thinking about. I'm skipping a very big part here, and I hate to do that, and I see the time there. But when we pray in the Spirit, when we pray in tongues, it's another layer of intercession because the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit speaks through us. Will you give me just a couple minutes more? Will you do that? All right, thank you. At least one person will. 
receive this challenge. It's not for everybody, but it's for some. We believe that when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's accompanied by a sign of speaking in tongues. And there's a purpose to that. That's the, the sign of the initial infilling. We also know that in 1 Corinthians, there's a purpose to speaking in tongues, as in a tongues and interpretation. That's a different purpose, a different meaning altogether. It's the same words, if you will. It's holy words, if you will. It's God's language, tongues of heaven, but it's a different purpose. But there's another purpose to tongues, and that is when we pray in intercession and tongues come forth. What's happening there is that is God speaking through us for things that we don't even understand need help, for people that we don't even know. Now, some people might say, well, you know, tongues, that's a gift, and only a few people get that. Well, let's back up a little bit. What happened on the day of Pentecost? People would say, you know, tongues, only two or three people are supposed to speak in, in tongues during a church service. That's what 1 Corinthians says, what's in our Bibles. But, but I would say, what happened on the day of Pentecost when a, about 120 were speaking in tongues all at the same time? That's not two or three decently in an order. That's everybody speaking. What's going on? Is, is the Bible confused? It's a No, it's a different purpose for tongues. Tongues is kind of like a hammer. It's got a hammer part and it's got a claw part. It's one tool, but it's multi-purpose. But tongues is also a tool for inter intercession. And if you haven't, now here's my challenge. If you haven't spoken in tongues since you were initially filled, let me challenge you. Seek to be blessed with speaking in tongues again. You will find the power of speaking in tongues to be incontrovertible. You will find that power to be something that is amazing. There's my little challenge there. Now let me go on to a little quick story. We've been praying for people to be drawn to the Lord. Monday, I got a call out of the blue from a man that I went to elementary school with in Minnesota. Um, that was a long time ago. Now, I had called my friend, Jim Swanson, probably 20 years ago. Lord put him on my heart, called him, talked a little bit. But he called me just Monday, started a conversation. And I mentioned that I had retired from a Christian school, and just that word Christian there kind of got the conversation going in that sense a little bit. We started talking about God and things of God. I came to find out that he said, you know, the, the church that we go to, we're, we're just looking for more. Now, he lives, in, he lives in Florida now. He's retired in Florida. I came to find out that his wife speaks in tongues. But they're looking for more. So we had a good little conversation. So I said, Jim, where do you live in, in Florida? And he said, I live in the Sarasota area, Venice. And I, uh, I, I said, well, you know, I'm going to be in Fort Myers in, in, in February. And he says, well, that's interesting because I'm going to be in Fort Myers in February. When? I said, well, the 12th, the 13th. Well, that's when I'm going to be down there. Do you think that just maybe intercessory prayers have been heard? Do you think that maybe... 
Speaking in tongues has a purpose? You think that maybe God prayed things that I had no idea were being prayed? There's power in prayer. There's power in intercessory prayer. God uses us to move this world. God has given us a tool to change people's course of life. My God, let God use you. See people. But the busyness of our lives, not fog our vision. Look over the busyness and see people and see their needs and have compassion and determine to pray for them. Let's all stand together. Thank you for giving me a few extra minutes here. Lord Jesus, I ask God that you would release a spirit of intercession in this assembly. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give us burdens, Lord, for people that we know, Lord, but also help us to pray, God, in a way, Lord, where you are working through us. Help us to be a New Testament, Holy Ghost-filled, apostolic, tongue-talking, prayerful people, God. Help us, I pray, Lord Jesus, to feel the burden of this world being lost. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see the needs of our neighbor, Lord, not just those that live next to us or that live with us, God, but those that we don't even know, the those that we wouldn't even think we had a right to talk to. Lord, help us, I pray, to do your work, God. I ask, Lord, that you would bless the work of intercession in this prayer. I thank you for what you're doing. I pray, God, that you'll continue to move, continue, Lord, to respond and touch. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Saints, do you receive the challenge of the evening?